Hey there, I'm Lauren Hicks, pastor of Pacific Christian Center in Santa Maria, California. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. It's my prayer that this message strengthens your faith and draws you closer to God. Now enjoy today's message. I want to get to scripture this morning, so if you brought a Bible with me, with you today, 2 Samuel chapter 6, 2 Samuel chapter 6, or maybe you have a Bible app on your smartphone, feel free to power that up today. We're going to continue our series on the life of David. I hope that this message series has been a blessing uh, to you. We're so glad you're here today, especially those of you who are guests with us today. We're so honored to have you here. We'd love to be a blessing in your life, serve you any way that we possibly can. Those of you watching online, welcome. We're so glad uh, to have you here. This is a special weekend for Linda and I. This weekend marks three years of our pastoring here at the church here today, this weekend. You, you, don't, you don't have to, I, I didn't do that so you clap, but I, I, I want to mark the, the moment and the occasion um, because I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the privilege and for the honor of serving you. Linda and I, uh, we genuinely love Santa Maria. I, when I moved to Santa Maria, I feel like God brought me home, that I'm home here in this community. And I love this city. I pray for this city every day. I pray for our community. I try to get involved uh, in different places that, where I can to maybe have a little bit of influence for Jesus, a little light in some places in our city to, to make a difference. But I so love this church, so love the opportunity to be here, to serve the Lord with you. And my heart is full full of faith and vision for what the Lord's going to do in the days to come. I hope that you have faith and vision for what the Lord's going to do. And if you don't, I'm going to give you some, okay? I'm going to give you some along the way. I want you to mark your calendar for um, Saturday and Sunday, September 24th and 25th for Miracle Weekend. Miracle Weekend. We had this weekend last year. And so Saturday night we'll have a service at 6 o'clock and then our Sunday morning at 10 o'clock a service on September 24th and 25th. You say, well, what is Miracle Weekend? That sounds a little strange, Pastor Lauren. Well, around here, we still believe God does miracles. And on Miracle Weekend, we simply ask God to do them. That's all it is. So nothing spooky, nothing weird, no crazy fanfare, none of the stuff you've seen on TV, none of that stuff. We just simply call upon a God who has all power. And a God that can heal the sick, and a God who can turn marriages around, and a God who can provide, and a God who can deliver and set free. We just simply give the Lord an opportunity. So as we come into that weekend, our leadership team, we will be fasting and praying and seeking the Lord. We want to encourage you to do that as well. And we will be believing the Lord for a miracle. God did some miracles last year, and I believe that the Lord's going to do some miracles again uh, this year. So I hope that you'll make plans to be with us. And then I want to ask you today uh, to be in prayer this week. A couple of families in our church lost loved ones this week. I want, to, I want you to pray for Jerry Fletcher. She's here. Her husband, Don, passed away uh, this year. They were married 59 years. And so Don is with the Lord. And so Jerry, we love you. We're glad to see you here this morning. We want to Pray, keep her in your prayers this week that the Lord will bring comfort and peace to her heart. And then also uh, Irene Timmons, uh, her mother passed away unexpectedly uh, this past week. And so we want to ask you to keep Gary and Irene and their family in your prayers. Will you do that this week? Will you do that, everybody? Keep them in your prayers. Let's just go right to Scripture today, if you will. Second Samuel chapter 6, the Bible reads like this. 
David again brought together all the young, able young men of Israel, 30,000. And he and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there, notice this, the Ark of God. This is the Ark of the Covenant, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the Ark. And they set the Ark of God on a new cart, notice that, that's important in the story, and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. And David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets and harps and lyres and timbrels and sistrums and cymbals and all kinds of instruments. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. And verse 7 says, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. We'll explain that in a moment. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because of the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, the place is called Perez Uzzah. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him in his entire household. Now, David, King David was told the Lord had blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went up to the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were, notice these words, carrying the ark of the Lord, had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. And as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, this is David's wife, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And after he finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person and the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. And when David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. Hear the sarcasm in her words now. How can the king of Israel, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would? And David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. And by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. So much. <laughs> this chapter is loaded with content. And there's so much. And I only have a few moments together. So pray hard for me today, okay? <laughs> this week I read the story of a pastor. A true story of a pastor who one night had a dream. As he was asleep in the night, he dreamed that he was standing in front of his congregation in the pulpit ready to deliver the Sunday morning message. 
As he looked out over the congregation, there was a stranger in the crowd. He noticed a particular man in the crowd, a guest on that Sunday morning, someone he had never seen before in his congregation. And he said for some reason in his dream as he preached this message, his attention kept drawing back to this man. For some reason, he kept noticing this man as he preached the message. While the final song was being sung, he decided that when the service was over, he was going to go introduce himself and meet this man that he did not know. As the dream continued, he goes back to the back door of the church or the front door of the church there where people were exiting and the man had slipped out and he didn't have a chance to meet him. This particular church also had a Sunday evening service and when the pastor took the pulpit in the Sunday evening service, he looked out and the man had returned in the Sunday evening service. And once again, as he preached in his dream, he felt himself being drawn back to this man once again. He said, after the service is over, I'm going to go back and meet him. But the man slipped out again and he didn't have a chance to meet him. So the pastor turned to one of the deacons and inquired. He said, did you see that man that was in the service? He said, who was that man? And the deacon said, Pastor, you didn't recognize him? He said, I don't think I've ever seen that man before. And the deacon said, that was Jesus of Nazareth. He said, you mean Christ himself was in our service? Christ himself sat in our seats and listened to me preach this message? Before the deacon could reply, the pastor woke up from his dream. He said he could he could not believe that it was a dream. It felt so real. Have you ever had a dream like that that just felt so real? That Did that happen? Was, was that a dream? It was that way. And the pastor said that dream changed his life and his ministry forever because it gave him the realization that Christ is present in the room. Think about it this morning. Think about it this morning. We just finished a beautiful time of singing and worship to the Lord and powerful songs that caused us to stand and to lift our hands and, and to lift our voices uh, to the Lord. And some of the songs, maybe one of the songs was particularly powerful in your life and ministered to you today. But would we have sang any differently if we had recognized that Christ was listening? Would we have worshipped any differently this morning if we had recognized that Christ was watching? Would we listen to this message from the Word of God more attentively if Christ was sitting in the seat beside us? He is present, of course. Can I remind you, Jesus is in the room today. Can I tell you that the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings is here today in this room? And sometimes we pray and we invite the presence of the Lord and it's more of us becoming aware of Him. We don't have to beg and plead for God to show up on a Sunday morning. He was here before we got here. In fact, He was with us when we came today. Amen. He was with us. But He is here today. The question is, are we aware of His presence? Did we come to this gathering this morning expecting Christ to be present, expecting that when we gather with God's people, we're going to meet with Jesus this morning? Did it make you get out of the bed? Was there a pep in your step this morning? Because you recognize you got to get up and go worship Jesus. We get to come together with family and friends. It's the best day of the week when we get to sing and lift our hands and rejoice and worship Jesus. And today, I want to preach a message simply titled for the next few minutes, Making Worship 
a priority. Making worship a priority. And I, I do know that there is a sense in which all we do is worship to the Lord. If you live a life that honors the Lord, when you go to work tomorrow, you're worshiping the Lord by the use of your gifts and your talents and having the right attitude and being a light for Jesus. You are honoring the Lord. Your life is worship to the Lord. I believe we can worship Him in our work. We can worship Him at home. We can worship Him even at play. We can honor the Lord. But today I want to talk about the specific act of coming together and worshiping Jesus, the specific intentional act of recognizing who he is and praising him and exalting him and lifting him up and making worship a priority in this place. And when you leave here today, it's my prayer that not only worship would be a priority in this place, but that worship would be a priority in your life. Why don't we come together on Sunday mornings? Why do we come together. Why are you here today? Some of you maybe said, I was wondering the same thing. <laughs> Why do we gather on Sunday mornings? Why do we gather at other times during the week? Friend, we gather to worship. We gather to worship. Oh, oh, Pastor, you're talking about that first part of the service where, you know, the band gets up there and the few singers and we sing those songs. No, 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 that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I love that, appreciate that. That was awesome. That was a part of it. But that's not all it is. You can worship without a song. You can worship without a praise and worship leader. Did you know you can worship without a band? Did you know that? Did you know that you can just, without any music at all, lift your voice and begin to give praise and worship and glory and honor to the one who went to the cross and rose from the dead? You can worship Jesus. He's worthy. We worship because there is one who is worthy. There is one who's worthy. And his name is Jesus. For several weeks, we have been in this biographical study of the life of David. And if you missed any of the weeks, you can go on our YouTube channel. You can catch up and watch them. I think there's almost 300 sermons now on our YouTube channel. Did you know you can binge watch sermons? Did you know that? <laughs> you can do that. I'm weird. I do that sometimes. I watch one right after another, right? You know, and sometimes I listen to my own sermons. Man, that was a good preaching, right? Yeah, Pastor, that was, that was a good... Some weeks, though, it's like, oh, God, help, what did I say, Lord? Help, help, help me, help me, Lord. We've been in this series on the life of David. There's so much to say about David. There's so much to say about his life. And, and we could probably take an entire year, and, and we're not going to, but we, there's so much to say about the life of David. But I think it can be summed up in just a few words. David loved God. Amen. David loved God. You may marvel at his leadership abilities. You may love his poetic expressions in the Psalms. You may even admire his military accomplishments, his effectiveness. But it's David's love for God that you and I should take notice of. After all, he's the only one in Scripture identified with the label, a man after God's own heart. As we read many of the Psalms, David's love for God becomes clearly evident I was looking recently at Psalm 63 where David said, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you with my whole being longs for you, David said. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, he said, and he's thinking back, he said, I've seen you in the sanctuary and I've beheld your power and your glory. 
Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. I hope you'll say that. In your name, I will lift up my hands. You can't read Psalms like that and come away with any other thought except this man loves God. This man loves to worship God. Now David is king of Israel. And he wants to make the worship of God a priority among the people of Israel. As we read through the story, it's pretty clear that worship, the worship of God, meant very little to King Saul. We don't see it being a priority. We don't see him going after the Ark of the Covenant like David uh, is doing here in this story. We don't see him restoring the people back to the worship of God. It doesn't appear that he has a heart for God. But David, now as king, recognizes that Israel is the people of God and that the worship of God must be front and center in their lives, and in their land. Now, let me give you just a short, take a short journey here, a little bit of background to catch us up here, and we'll be very brief with this, but if, if you've been with us, if you haven't been with us, it's important to remember what's happening here in the story. The last time we talked about David, David was on the run from King Saul. For several years, David was a fugitive, hiding in the mountains, living in caves, Saul, out of his jealousy, had 3,000 soldiers hunting David down. And there was a, a group of men, about 400 men, that had gathered themselves with David. And the last time we talked about David, David was at Ziklag where his, his home was burned and his wives and children were carried off captive. And the men were talking about stoning David and executing him and blaming, blaming this thing on him. And the Bible says in the story that David found strength in the Lord. And we talked about how that there's going to be some times you're going to have to encourage yourself in the Lord. We fast forward a few chapters here to 2 Samuel chapter 6. We learn in 1 Samuel chapter 31 that King Saul is wounded in battle. He falls on his own sword. He takes his own life. And on that day, three of Saul's sons were killed. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, David hears of Saul's death and he mourns for Saul. Doesn't that seem strange? The one who's trying to kill him all those years, he is mourning for them. I believe out of respect for the fact that Saul was God's anointed. He mourns for his friend Jonathan. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, we see that David is anointed king over Judah. And for some time, there is some conflict between David and the household of Saul. But by chapter 5, David is finally king over all of Israel and Judah. And David conquers Jerusalem and drives out the enemy Jebusites who have been living there. But now, this is so important, catch this now, David is setting things in order. That little boy who prophet Samuel poured the oil on his head, that shepherd boy, so many years ago, God had said, I found my man. King Saul was your man, now I found my man. Oh, my man happens to be a little boy watching some sheep, but he's got a heart for me. He's got a heart for me. That little boy's grown up now, and he's learned a lot of things over the years, and now, not only has he been anointed, now he has been appointed. And now he is king, and David is setting things in order. He's king, the nation is united. So what is on David's heart and mind? What's David thinking about? As David lays his head on his pillow at night, what is on the mind of the king? And here's what's on his mind. A desire to bring worship back. A desire to set the hearts of the people back on God. A desire to make in Israel worship of God a priority. That's what's on the heart of David. What does it matter if we have a strong military and a renewed economy and peace in the land if we don't have the presence and power of God? 
And can I just say to you, friends, we've been mightily blessed at Pacific Christian Center, and I give lots of credit and honor to my predecessors and those that came before and the hard work that they did as they served the Lord and obeyed the Lord and took mighty steps of faith and your generosity and your serving and all that you've done to make this a wonderful church. And we've been blessed by this property. But what does it matter if we have 13 acres and some beautiful buildings? What does it matter if we have a school and a preschool? What does it matter if we have a coffee shop? What does it matter if we have all these things if we don't have the presence and power of God at Pacific Christian Center? We must make worship. That's just things. All that is things. <laughs> you know, if we didn't have all that, the church could still go on. We had church outside for a long time. Did you know the church just went on? Amen, everybody? The church went on, right? It wasn't about the building. The church went on. But we got to make worship a priority. And there was something missing in Israel. And I think David lamented this. And David cried out to God about this. The Ark of the Covenant was missing. At this point, uh, a little history about the Ark of the Covenant is important. If, you, if you've read the Old Testament, you know the children of Israel who had been delivered from 400 years of captivity to the Egyptians. They've been set free and you know the whole story of that. And now they're on their way to the promised land, working their way through the wilderness as they follow the direction of the Holy Spirit by pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. And they come to Sinai. And it was at Sinai that God gives them the law, gives them the Ten Commandments. Moses comes down. You've seen the movie, haven't you? Moses comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. And it is there, God's setting things in order in his nation. His people, he's setting things in order. And there would be a tent of meeting where Moses would go and meet with God. And there would be an Ark of the Covenant that God directed the Israelites to build. And if you read this in the Old Testament, well, it's kind of tedious because God is so specific. God is crystal clear in his designs. And it, does it really matter? No, God, it mattered to God. And we find this Ark of the Covenant was built at the command of the Lord in Exodus chapter 25. The word Ark means chest or box. And the Ark was a, a box of wood that measured 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches tall. And it was covered with pure gold. The top of the box was called the mercy seat. And on either side of the mercy seat, there were two golden cherubim. Inside the Ark, there were some things inside the Ark. You remember this from the Old Testament? It was a pot of manna, manna. Remember manna? The bread on the ground that God provided them every day was a pot representing God's provision. That was in the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron's rod, the first priest that, that God miraculously, the, his rod, his staff actually budded, right? And began to sprout leaves on it. That was in the Ark of the Covenant. And also the two tables of law that were given to Moses on Mount Sinai. But it was here at the Ark that God promised to meet with his people. And the Ark of the Covenant was vital to the worship in Israel. It was symbolic of God's presence among his people. As we read the story in the Old Testament of the Israelites, we recognize that it was often, the Ark of the Covenant was often carried by the priests into battle. If you remember that the Ark goes first when the children of Israel cross the Jordan and begin to take possession, they enter the Promised Land. The scripture says that the priests carry the Ark were the first into the water. And then when they come to Jericho, and the instructions were that they were to march around God's unique military strategy to march around the walls of Jericho, and that God would bring the walls down, you know what went first? The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went around first. 
What's happening here? What do we learn here? We're learning God goes first. God goes first. God does not follow us. We follow God wherever God goes. The ark was missing from Israel. And David said, if we're going to make worship a priority, we've got to get the ark back. We've got to go get the ark. So where is the ark? Anybody know where the ark is? Well, you see, way back in the days of Eli, the priest, some 75 years earlier, Eli was not a godly man and lived in wickedness, especially his sons lived in just horrible wickedness. First Samuel chapter 4, you can read the story. The Philistines came and captured the Ark of the Covenant. And God punished the Philistines for this. You can read the story in Scripture. And their instruction, the Philistines' instruction was, let's put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart with some, some, some oxen and slap them on the rear end and let them go. <laughs> let's get it out of here, right? And so it was, it was at this uh, particular house, but this is 75 years has passed, and David is about to take Israel and lead them to go back. And the story we began today in 2 Samuel chapter 6, 30,000 able young men. David didn't just say, hey, me and some of the fellows are going down to get the ark. 30,000 men are going down to get the ark. Now, we learn some things about worship in this chapter. The first thing we learn is that true worship begins with desire. True worship, you're taking notes today, true worship begins with desire. David had desire. He desired the things of God. He desired to worship the Lord. Some of those times when he was hiding in those caves and he was thinking about, he said at one point, I think it's Psalm 27, he said at one point, he said, I would have fainted unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He's saying, it's not always going to be like this. I remember when I worshiped him in his house. I remember the presence of God. I remember the power of God. I believe those days are going to be restored. David had this desire. He had this desire. The scripture says in verses 1 and 2, David brought all, together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. And he and his men went to Balat in Judah to bring up the ark of God. He had desire. David knew they were nothing without the presence and power of God. The Lord told Moses in Exodus chapter 25, it's at the ark. It's at the ark of the covenant. That's where I will meet with you. Let me ask you today, do you have desire to worship God? Would you say that worship is a priority in your life? Would you say worship is a priority in your family? I've had people say to me, Pastor, well, I just don't really have much desire to worship. And oftentimes they're referring to the part of the service where we have singing. And he said, well, I don't, you know, I don't really like worship. And I know there's people that, maybe even some today, I don't know. They come to church late intentionally because they don't want to, I don't like, they don't like the music. I don't like the style or this or that. I don't, I don't like all that. And we all have our own musical tastes. I'm, I like a lot of different kinds of music. And some of you are like that as well. We all have different kinds of musical tastes. But did you know that the worship of God is not about a musical style? Not about a song, not about a lyric. It's about a time. It's about a place. It's about an opening of our hearts to the Lord. It's about a, taking the focus off of everything else that's happened this week. All the work, all the responsibilities, the school, all those things. Taking off that and setting some, aside some time on this first day of the week, which is what today is. And turning intentionally our focus and attention on the only one who is worthy of worship. And that's Jesus. 
That's what this gathering is about. That's what this gathering is about. And if you're here and you say, well, I don't, you know, I don't have much desire to worship God. I would say to you that if you'll pursue God, the desire will come. If you'll seek after him, the desire will come. Uh, I just took a little uh, vacation, a little four-day trip with my wife. We p- took our kids to college and we went on vacation. Woohoo! everybody. <laughs> I think it's the first time Linda and I went on vacation together, just the two of us, since 26 years we've had children in our in our home, and it was a special uh, time for us this past week, but I was thinking back when I first met her, and we met her at church, I met her at church, that's a good place to meet somebody, by the way, were you looking around here, everybody? Yeah. I noticed two things about her, number one, she was beautiful, Woo. still is, by the way, still is. People tell me, say, well, your girls look just like you, Lauren. And I said, yeah, they got my looks because she still got hers. I tell you, that's right. That's right. But second, I noticed that she was a woman of prayer. I noticed that if the pastor would call an altar call and say, let's all come gather around the front and pray, she would pray and seek the Lord. And sometimes she'd be one of the last people to leave. And I knew I had a call to ministry on my life. And I thought, I need a woman like that. I need a woman that knows how to pray, knows how to seek the Lord. Young man, if you're looking for a wife, find a woman who knows how to pray and get a hold of God. Young women, look for a young man who knows how to pray and seek the Lord. I had a little desire to be in her presence. And so I started pursuing her. I wasn't a stalker. But I started pursuing her. And do you know what happened? Thank, thank the Lord she welcomed that pursuit. Thank the Lord or we wouldn't be here today. But the more I pursued her, the more the desire to be in her presence increased. And so I kept pursuing her. and I kept wanting to be here. And I remember, you know, back in, remember a long distance phone call when you had to pay by the minute, right? Remember you did that? You had one phone in the house. Just bear with me, kids. But it was one phone in the kitchen wall. And you get the phone, phone and it had the phone numbers. And my mom meticulously, love you, mom. My mom meticulously would go through that phone bill and she would underline every call that I had made. And with her little calculator, she would calculate it at the end of the month. And say, come down to my room and say, son, this is what you owe me this month. All those late night phone calls and all that. I didn't come to preach about dating and courting and marriage, but there's something about the pursuit of God. There's something about the pursuit of God. And today you could say, Lord, I'm going to begin to pursue you with everything that's within me. I'm going to get up a little extra early tomorrow. I'm going to begin to seek after God. I'm going to begin to pursue God and worship God and get in the Word and be in prayer. When the doors of the church are open, I'm going to be there because I have a hunger for God. You know what's going to happen? I can promise you, your desire for God is going to increase. Your desire to worship is going to increase. Second, we learn in the story that worship without obedience does not please God. Worship without obedience does not please God. And this is the hard part of this story. 
Verse 6 and 7 says that when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out his hand and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen had stumbled. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of this irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark. What a strange thing. In chapter 5, several times we read, David inquired of the Lord. But in chapter 6, David is a bit zealous, and we don't see that phrase. He doesn't ask the Lord what he should do. He has the right desire. He just didn't do it the right way. Now, Uzzah's death is hard for us to understand. I mean, isn't David doing the right thing, trying to restore the people to God? And shouldn't Uzzah have been commended for trying to keep the ark from falling off of the cart? And so people read this story and think God is being so harsh in this story. And we see that even David gets angry uh, at God. And, but, and what's so bad about what Uzzah did? He has to die for this? Isn't he just trying to help? I mean, any wagon driver would have done the same thing with any valuable piece of furniture in his care, wouldn't he? Yes. And that's precisely Uzzah's problem. He saw no difference in the ark in any other piece of furniture. It had become familiar. It had been... In his house, he's a son of Abinadab, where the ark had been staying. He saw the ark all the time. He'd grown up with the ark in his home. It was commonplace. What's the big deal? And we learn here, I think, that we, we dishonor God when we make worship about anything else but God. Can I say that again? I know that's a little heavy statement, but it's so important that we dishonor God when we make worship about anything else but God. We're no longer worshiping God when we make worship about us. For us, you know, the whole David and the men are singing and jumping and trumpets and cymbals and they're all excited, they're worshiping. But for us, it was about transportation. It was about getting a job done. And David had either forgotten the command of God or had just been neglectful and ignored the command of God because Exodus chapter 25 tells us that the priests are to take these staves, these rods, and slide them through the rings on the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant is to be carried. It was never to be put on an ark, on a, on a cart. It is to be carried, and even the priests are forbidden to touch the Ark of the Covenant. And to understand what's happening here, we have to look deep at the nature of God. We must see that God is holy. God did not view this, this touching of the ark and keeping it from falling. God did not view it as some trivial act. God is holy. He is set apart. He is undefiled. He is unblemished. And tied to his holiness is the fact that God is just. In other words, God is never unfair. He must always punish sin. And that's why Uzzah died. But that's also why Jesus died. That's why Jesus died. Because sin must be punished. And instead of you and I taking that punishment, Jesus died for us. Jesus took our place on the cross. At the cross, God is being holy and just at the same time. He's being merciful and just at the same time. But as we read the story, we must sit up and take note of this important truth that obedience matters to God. Did, can I tell you this today, that obedience in your life matters to the Lord? Obedience in my life matters to the Lord. We cannot think that God winks at sin or that God will overlook it. Many of us have 
have come to church. Now, let me just say this. I have come to church because I, I don't know about you. I'm not going to assume this of you. I'll just say to me. I have come to church in my life at times when my heart was not right with the Lord. And can I tell you, there is no freedom of worship when your heart is not right with God. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no overwhelming presence of the Lord when my heart is not right with God. The sin has to be dealt with. Maybe there's a few of you, one or two of you here who've had the same experience before. Maybe you came to a service or maybe you even came today and you know your heart is not right with God and you look around and people are worshiping and praising God with joy and excitement, but you don't feel that because there's something between you and God. But when you take that sin to Jesus, the one who bore the justice of the Father, the one who died in our place, and you take that to him in repentance, and you experience the beautiful grace of God, the mercy and forgiveness of God, the weight of that sin is lifted off of you, and the presence of God floods your soul with tears streaming down your face. You are able to lift your hands and with joy praise and worship your Savior. Are you with me today, everybody? Are you with me? So it helps us understand a bit of this story that obedience matters to the Lord. In fact, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 Samuel replies, doesn't the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better to come on a Sunday morning. Lord, I went to church and lifted my hands. Lord, I went to church and praised God. I sang, I sang real loud today, Lord. Isn't that great? Isn't that what I'm supposed to do, Lord? I, 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 I put $30 in the offering this Sunday. Lord, isn't that what I'm supposed to do? The Lord said, to obey is more important than praise and worship. To obey is more important than that sacrifice to the Lord. Obedience is important. We also learn in this story that passionate worship is our response to God's presence and power. So that the Ark of the Covenant, after this incident, stays at the house of a man named Obed-Edom for three months. And God blesses his house. And David hears, whew, everything's okay. We left the Ark there. His house is all right. Maybe now it's okay so this time David does it right. No oxen, no cart. Let's do it the way God said do it. Let's go back and look at what God said to Moses. Let's do it the right way this time. And they did. And the Bible says that when they took six steps, he made a sacrifice to the Lord. And with the instruments and all the people, they celebrated and danced as they brought the Ark of the Covenant. They're making worship a priority again, bringing it back into Israel. And the Bible says David danced with all of his might. Now, I'm not going to preach about his wife, the whole story. That's a whole, it's another, another, piece, another piece of the story, and that's not important for our sermon today. But I think what's important is that we see that the presence and power of God draws from us this joy, this worship, this passion, this passionate worship for the Lord. And I've seen people with their arms crossed, and I don't know why these people are all excited. You know, why are they jumping up and down? It's getting a little bit out of order in here. It's getting a little... You know, kind of crazy. I know there's a lot of different ways to worship the Lord. And we have different personalities. And you worship according to your personality. All right? Is that okay, everybody? Is that helpful? You're getting a little quiet this morning. I got to talk about obedience and got quiet. If you're an inwardly reserved person and a quiet person and you don't, you're not a demonstrative person, that's okay. We don't, we're not going to be like Michal, David's wife, and despise you for being quiet in your worship. But also, don't despise us for getting a little excited around here about Jesus, right? So, we have a different personality. It's not important. 
You worship the Lord as is best for you. David is dancing with all of his might before the Lord. And it's amazing how free we are to worship when our hearts are right with God. Friends, God is worthy that we would make worship a priority in our lives. As the worship team comes today, we're going to sing together and worship together. We sometimes make the mistake of thinking that worship is for us, done to us or for us. But worship is for God. Worship is to be directed to God. And for God to be honored by our worship, our hearts, our attitude, our life, must be in right relationship with Him. And if you're not in that place of getting right with God, you can get right with God today. We're going to close our service and our prayer team will join us in a few moments. Not yet, but in a few moments. And these men and women will be standing here across the front and you can come and pray with them. They'll pray with you. And you can get right with God today so that you can worship with freedom this Savior who went to the cross and rose from the dead. Worship is not about us. Worship is about the Lord. Worship is for Him. What do you say, church? Can we make worship a priority at Pacific Christian Center? What do you say, everybody? Can we? What about you in the balcony? Can we make it a, a priority, everybody? Let's make it a priority. Stand, if you will. Let's stand to your feet. Let's stand, everyone. Let's stand, everyone. Praise God. There's more to the story, more than we could say, but it's time to bring it home. Thank you, Jesus. Don't you want to worship him today? Come on, all over this house. Can I invite you? Let's lift those hands to the Lord. Right where you're standing, just you and God. Just take a moment. Just take a moment. Take a moment. Just from your own soul, from your own heart, just worship the Lord. Just tell him you love him. Tell him you're thankful. Let him know you're grateful for all that he's done, all that he is. Thank you for his grace, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness. Thank him that he never gave up on you. He's given you a second chance, a third chance, and a fourth chance. Thank the Lord for how good he's been to your family. Thank him for filling you with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the times he provided and healed and gave you strength. Thank him that he was there when you lost your loved one. Thank him that he was there when you were struggling. Give him worship today. Give him praise. And today, right where you're standing, if you're not where you need to be with the Lord, if there's sin in your heart, in your life today, right where you're standing, you can confess that to your merciful Heavenly Father and ask His forgiveness and say, Lord, cleanse me, forgive me, wash me, make me new. Give my heart to you. Surrender my life to you. To serve you, to know you, to live for you. To let worship be a priority in my life. Come on, let's sing together with all of our hearts. Once again, thank you for joining us for today's podcast. Special thanks to those of you who give so generously to make this ministry possible. If God has put it on your heart to give, please visit our website at pacificchristian.net. And if you enjoyed today's message, please consider subscribing, sharing with your friends on social media, and giving us a rating in iTunes. This will enable us to expand our reach and share the message of Christ with more people. Until next time, God bless you.